Yes, I'm excited about this. I'm excited to get to preach with my wife. It's going to be a good morning, guys. So we are um, entering into our second week of our new series uh, we're calling Empowered, right? And so uh, the Empowered series, um, you know, we're coming on the heels again of our, uh, our By Faith series. And, you know, uh, just as that reminder, you know, faith is a two-sided coin, right? The, the first side is that we, we have faith that God is who he says he is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other side of that coin is that we have faith that we are who he says we are. That's a harder one, isn't it? Yeah. It's a harder one to accept. I can accept who God is all day long, but owning who I am supposed to be, right, and his expectations on me is a very different thing. And so we've just gone through this series of really exploring, like, who is God? Like, he's worthy. He's trustworthy. We went through all these incredible miracles, and we went through Hebrews 11, and we learned and we revisited all these incredible stories of people's faith, that God is who he says he is, and that he will always be trustworthy, right? But we're going to see who he says he is the most when we live out who he says we are. Yeah. And that's what it is to be empowered. Mm -hmm. To live an empowered life is to live a life accepting that I am who you say I am, God. Not anybody else. Nobody else gets to label me except for my creator. Right? Right, church? Right. Yes. Yeah. So that's what we're going through in this uh, this series, okay, is really visiting what is God's expectations on us in in a lot of different areas of our lives. I don't know if we're going to hit every single area. We'll see, you know? But... um, but we wanted to start, I've been, I've been wanting to talk about marriage for quite a long time, you know, like literally years. We've wanted to do a sort of a marriage series. And so um, we figured we'd kind of kick this one off uh, by talking about God's expectation for us within our marriages, within our relationships, okay? And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this passage real quickly for us, and then we'll kind of unpack that a little bit before we get going here. So we're going to read today out of the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 9 through 12. So that's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Chances are you've heard this at a wedding ceremony at least 100 times. But uh, it's usually used in a, in a marriage context, but it's a powerful passage and it's a powerful teaching for us. So again, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, let's read. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, I'm certainly not saying that this passage is only talking about marriage. This is talking about relationships in general right? How, that relationships are important, that God expects us to have relationships with others. That's an expectation on us that we aren't going through life all on our own as an island, right? That, but God created us for community. That's what the church is, mm-hmm. right? It's a body of believers to help build each other up and grow each other, right? But we can certainly apply this passage to our marriages as well. Yeah. We can do that, okay? And so there is a larger meaning, but this morning we're going to really look at this passage through the lens of marriage. And so the main point that we want to bring out this morning is that God set an expectation of empowerment for our marriages. Mm-hmm. 
that he set an expectation for that. You know, early on in my, in my ministry, uh, you know, I'd, I'd meet with couples uh, that wanting, wanting advice in marriage, you know, and, you know, being a pastor is a very odd thing sometimes, <laughs> especially a young pastor when you're sitting there and you're trying to counsel people who've been married like way longer than you have. And it's like, I think maybe try this. <laughs> like, like I'm some expert, you know, like I, I hope I, I don't even know if I'm getting this right myself, you know, like, so I don't know if I'm the best person you should be coming to, you know, and a lot of times when it comes to marriage counseling, I'll, you know, I have a, a rule of like, I'll meet with you like once, maybe twice. And if it seems like you need help beyond that, then you need to go to a professional counselor, not me. You know, like, I'll try to shoot you in the direction of Jesus, and that's about the best I got for you, right? But what was interesting is originally I would, you know, ask questions about, okay, well, what's going on? What's happening? And try to help them identify some areas that was causing the issues, you know? And it was always down to things like communication, finances, time management. It was always those three things, right? And so I would end up just saying, like, well, do you have a shared calendar? Maybe you should start there. Well, have you done thought about doing something like FPU, financial? Peace University, I think that would really help you guys, you know, or, uh, you know, maybe uh, you need to figure out, like, you need to have an agreement uh, about um, what expectations are at home, like, for your time and that sort of a thing, right? So it's all based around communication, all those same things, all the same surface issues, always. Almost every single time we would talk to, I would talk to somebody, that's what it was, right? In my job as a pastor, though, what I had, what I eventually realized, it's not, my job is not to give practical relationship advice. You know, I'm not a self-help guru. That is not who I am. That's not my job, right? My job is to point people to Jesus. Right. That's my job. Right. And it took me a while to, to have to figure that because believe it or not, they don't really teach you some of this stuff <laughs> to be a pastor. You know, they don't, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that I missed that class on, you know, and so you just have to figure out, you know. And, and realizing this um, in, in marriage counseling and, and trying to help people as best as I can, you know, and also just going through healing in my own life and growth, I had to realize that symptoms are almost never the cause, mm -hmm. right? Symptoms are not the issue, right? Symptoms are almost never the cause. They're just an indication of something much deeper being out of alignment, right? Mm -hmm. So when we go to the doctor, right, and we say, doc, I have a headache, right? Like they aren't like just giving us some ibuprofen for the headache might not fix it. It's just gonna keep coming back and back because maybe it's caused by blood pressure issue or who knows what, right? There's a myriad of things. Everything's cancer on WebMD, right? It all goes back to that, right? So it's like, so who knows what in the world it is? But, but I can't self-diagnose just based on my symptoms, right? If I have a rash or something like that, Right? If I just like hope it goes away right, and not figuring out where it's coming from or maybe it's detergent or maybe it's this or that, right? it's just going to keep happening. It's foolish to think that anything different is going to happen. So we have to figure out what is the deeper thing. And you know what? The only person qualified to bring out of, um, you know, to bring what's out of alignment back into alignment is the one who created us in the first place. The only one qualified to do that is Jesus. The only one. Now, I need to say, I am the first person who will recommend counseling. Okay, so I am not saying that, you know, counseling isn't important and isn't, isn't, uh, isn't really healthy for us, but counseling doesn't fix us. Mm -hmm. Okay? 
What counseling does, the, the purpose that it's supposed to serve, is counseling helps us to find out where the root issues are so that we can bring those to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Okay? Counseling is important. You know, like marriage counseling is so important. Figuring out what is causing this stuff going on in my life right now? What is going on? Because God has expectations for our marriages. We have to work on it. We have to look at it. We have to make the hard decisions, have the hard conversations, because God has expectations for our marriages. He designed marriage with a purpose. And God's expectation is that he would be woven together into the fabric of every single area of our lives, of course, including our marriages, that he would be intricately woven together into every area of our lives. You know, Jess and I spent many years together pretty much living as separate entities, trying to live our best in harmony. Do you hear what I'm saying? Maybe you can kind of understand that or relate to that a little bit, right? We lived as separate entities for a long time. We both loved Jesus, right? And we tried our best to live in harmony, but like didn't really know what God's expectation was for our marriage. It was easier to maybe kind of own a little bit of what his expectation was for me personally, but, but not, not our marriage. And, you know, this morning we want to share some things that we've learned in our marriage. We don't have the perfect marriage. We're not up here trying to, to convey that by any means. But we have grown a lot yeah. in, our, in our time together, you know. And, and we, we want to talk about this, about marriages, because, um, you know, COVID has been really brutal. COVID has been really brutal on marriages. I, I read this the other day. It said the UK's largest family law firm reported a 95% increase in divorce inquiries during the pandemic. And while in the U.S., legal templates, which sells legal forms written by licensed attorneys, reported a 34% increase in sales of its divorce agreements in the first half of just 2020. That's just the first half of 2020. COVID increased pressure in our lives. Lockdowns forced us to be at home. School moving remote forced us to be at home with our kids right? Locked, <laughs> almost imprisoned, it felt like at times, right? It increased fear and it increased anger in people over vaccinations, layoffs, toilet paper, politics, social issues, right? These all caused really intense pressure in our lives. And pressure tends to open up hairline cracks in our marriages and turn them into canyons, That's what pressure does. It opens up the weak points. It causes breakages where maybe we never thought one could be before. Things we never thought were an issue in our personal lives suddenly erupted and people have a tendency to blame their environments as the cause when that happens. So as people became more and more miserable, stuck at home, they assumed it was their surroundings causing it and the grass is always greener. But that old truth, wherever you go, there you are, remained the same. And this shows us 
The church was not immune to this, right? And so this shows us that we have some fundamental misunderstandings about God's expectations for marriage. As a society, as a culture, even the church itself, because divorce rates in the church aren't really any better, guys. And that's a problem. It shows us that we have some fundamental misunderstandings about God's expectations for marriage. We've placed our own assumptions on a God-given institution, and we've lost its purpose. And we're going to talk more about marriage and family in this series, but we wanted to start with this point today. This point that God set an expectation of empowerment for our marriages. So if that is, if, if we're to accept that, that there's an expectation, then what are God's expectations for an empowered marriage? And these are very simple. It's just two points we have this morning. And it's very simple stuff, right? The first point, we consistently ask him to be part of it. That's our first point. If we, if we want to move forward in the expectation that God has for marriages, then we consistently ask him to be part of it. You know, a theme in... Village Church, I've talked about this several times now, but it's important to keep bringing it up, is that we want God here. That needs to be the attitude of our heart. We want you here. Help us to make much of your son, Jesus. We want you here. Help us to make much of your son, Jesus. We want that above anything else in our lives. And that's not just us as a church, but that is the attitude that we should carry into every area of our lives, including our marriages. God, we want you in this marriage. We want to make much of your son Jesus in and through this marriage. Marriage is meant to be a partnership. One person there on behalf of the other person, ready to fight, support, or carry the one we've committed our lives to. We see that in any healthy relationship in Ecclesiastes 4, right? And this even alone, right, is a shift from simply wishing God would be part of our marriage from simply just wishing that God would be in our marriages to actually asking and inviting him to have a central role. For a really long time, we just kind of moved through life in our marriage, like hoping that God was in it. Assuming, well, he must be, right? That was our heart for way too long in our marriage, that he must just automatically be part of it because, you know, we're going to church and we're serving here and there, right? So he must be part of it, right? But that was an assumption we were making. We did not ask him intentionally. And we see verse 12, this powerful verse of a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That third strand, of course, is the father's presence in our marriage. He desires to be intricately woven together into our marriages because a cord of three strands is so much stronger than just the two of us. It's not just a third better, right? Mm -hmm. It is massively more strong than just two together. We can't just assume that going to church and praying at dinner is going to automatically mean an open invitation to God's empowerment in our individual lives, let alone our marriages. Do you hear that, church? Yes. We can't make that assumption. We have to ask. Mm -hmm. So when we, when Cody and I got together, we met at a Bible camp, 
and we both had a heart to serve God and serve his people. Um, and honestly, that was probably the reason why we just wanted to be together. Like, we just had this vision of, like, someday we can serve God together, um, but, like, in a mission field or in a church, not, you know, through our marriage. Um, and so early on, uh, we hadn't even been married a year yet. Um, we were presented with an opportunity. We were living in North Dakota. I was finishing up my uh, last year of college. And um, we were given an opportunity to be part of a church plant in Sacramento. And, you know, we were North Dakota kids. Like, I, I had many friends who dreamed of growing up and moving away. I never had that dream. I never, never considered that I probably would move away. Um, and so we decided, okay, God, we want to serve you give us an opportunity to serve. And then this came up. I think we'd been married like eight months at that point. And um, so we went out to Sacramento and we checked it out. And it was very clear that God was calling us there, but we were afraid. And we're like, you know, this seems like a good idea for other people, but not for us. So we said no initially. We said, no, we don't want to do that. But we realized that we had been asking God for an opportunity to serve him. And then when he gave it to us, we said no. And so we decided together, like, we're always going to wonder. We had safe lives. You know, our families were in North Dakota. I was finishing school. I could have probably easily gotten a dream job. Cody has told you guys many times about how he was offered two dream jobs uh, at that point in our lives. But we thought, we're just always going to wonder, what if? And so, honestly, we decided we can always come home. Let's just try it. Let's just go. And in and, and that time, we were doing a book study um, on the book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. So I'm going to read. Um, this is about Peter walking on the water. This is Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and they said and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come on the water. Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and being, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So, you know, we're going through this study and we were very afraid to get out of the boat to, to try something new. But we asked God for this opportunity, and we saw that Peter did the same thing. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. So we had asked God for this opportunity, and he told us it's time to go. And so we went. And uh, we first desired the opportunity and asked God for it, and he gave it to us. And uh, 
we knew we wanted to start our marriage in a place where we had to depend on God. So it wasn't the wisest financial choice we ever made. Uh, the church offered Cody $1,000 to come out and lead worship, and that was it. $1,000 a month, and in Sacramento in 2007, that, wouldn't, that didn't even pay for our rent. So it probably wasn't the wisest financial decision, but we wanted, we wanted to follow God. It was a huge step of faith for us. And ultimately, it was the right decision, but there were a lot of things that we just had to have faith and trust him in it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of faith. Faith decisions don't always make a lot of sense on paper. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not, I don't think we were wrong, but it was a little crazy. And a lot of people thought we were crazy for making that decision, right? But two things from that passage are, are really important, I think. Peter asks twice. Peter asks, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out onto the water. He asks, and then Jesus says, come. It wasn't an assumed thing. He asked for that moment of empowerment. And then even after he took his eyes off Jesus and he got freaked out and he starts to sink, he asks, Lord, save me. And then it says Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Jesus didn't automatically do it, did he? The ask is important, guys. The ask is important. If you want to experience the fullness of God in your life, if you want to experience things that will radically push your faith, then we have got to ask. And when we get in over our heads, which we will, right? Those moments when we get in over our heads, then we have to ask for help there too. We have to ask for help there too. And I want to ask this question of you this morning. What is the step of faith that God is asking you to take in your marriage, your family, in your relationships with your loved ones? I know that not everybody here is married, and that's okay. We can still apply so much of this to our lives, right? Ecclesiastes 4 is about relationships in general, so it's okay to apply this to other relationships too, okay? But what is God asking you to step out in? He's beckoning you, right? Are you willing to ask? Are you willing to ask him to make that so? Are you willing to step out of the boat? It's something you have to ask. So the second point, um, point two, is we allow God to shape our marriages. When we ask God to be a part of our marriage, we must also allow him to shape our marriage. Our marriage was designed to be shaped and molded by him. We believe that marriage is a gift from God that we're meant to steward for his glory. The world shows us that marriage is about, you know, all the rom-com movies from the 90s, right? You meet someone, you fall in love, you have 2.5 kids, a dog, a white picket fence, and you live happily ever after. The world's version of marriage tells us that our sole purpose is to make this person happy for the rest of our lives. God has so much more for us than that. If you've lived very long on this earth, you've probably noticed that happiness is fleeting. What makes you happy one day will be a burden the next day. I remember when we were buying our first house, 
and we looked at 60 houses. This was right after the crash of 2008, 2009. And we made offers on six houses before we got one. And we were so excited we got this house and then we had a house, we were homeowners. And it wasn't a really, really, it was a dump, it was not a good house. But, you know, we were so excited and then it's like, oh, the AC doesn't work, great, we get to pay for that. Oh, we don't have appliances, we gotta pay for that. And so it had become like this financial burden on us that we had wanted and we knew like, once we got a house, we're gonna be so happy. And I'm sure you guys have had experiences like that in your lives too. But the drive for happiness causes people to do crazy things sometimes. God's design for marriage is not about her earthly happiness. That's a great side byproduct that you'll experience. If you've been married, if you are married, you'll know that some days it's great, some days it's hard, sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're not, but that's not what he designed it for. He designed marriage to refine us and to bring him glory. In order for that to happen, we must allow him to shape us as individuals and as a couple. Being shaped by God looks like us surrendering our plans, our dreams, our hopes, and our expectations to him by saying, not my will, God, but yours. God should get a say in everything we do. Every purchase, every decision. If we're asking him to be woven throughout our marriage, then we have to let him be who he wants to be in our marriages. And you know, God is powerful. He can do anything he wants, but he's also a gentleman. He's not going to force things on us. If we don't want him in our lives, he's not going to do all that he wants to do. We have to have that heart where we say, God, I want you to create in me whatever you designed me for. I want you to create in our marriage whatever you designed it for. And it's not an accident that you are married to the person you're married to. It's not just... You know, you met somebody at a coffee shop, you fell in love. It's not that. I believe God purposed and designed it for him, for his glory, and for our own benefit and the world's benefit. In the church, we often try to mold and shape our marriages the way we see fit and then ask God to bless our plans. Instead, we should seek God, God regarding his vision for our marriage first. The reality is that our marriages are going to be shaped by something. Maybe it's shaped by past trauma in your life. Maybe it's shaped by the culture you grew up in. Maybe it's shaped by your friends. Maybe it's shaped by your crazy kids. It's going to be shaped by something. But we get the most joy when we allow God to be the foundation of our marriage and when we live surrendered to his design. So God has given us examples in his word of this is the way you should go. The whole book of Proverbs is showing us this is the way you should go. And when we do that, there's peace and there's joy, but it's not easy. It is not easy, but it's the right thing to do. And he doesn't, thank God, he doesn't just leave us to figure it out on our own. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us. And it's really easy to get wrapped up in our own pursuits. You know, when you have providing for your family, you've got to make an income or raising your kids and you're trying to figure out like, is this the way we should do it? I don't want to parent the way I was parented or I do want to do it just like my parents did it. I think this is what we should do. But all we have to do is ask God, what should we do here, Lord? 
and allow him to shape us within our marriage. Then he empowers us. When we have that surrendered heart, he empowers us to walk out his plans and purposes, and we're able to find joy, not just happiness, in his design. God's incredibly creative. If you look around this room, you see all different kinds of people. You can see the creativity. You know, I work with kids, so I see God's creative design as they're developing their little personalities, um, the freckles on their noses. Like, God's so creative. And marriage is a beautiful expression of his creativity. He wants our marriages to uniquely express his love in the way that we raise our children, in the way that we spend our free time, the way we engage our neighbors, the way we spend our money, even the way we love our in-laws. The way Cody and I have done it is not the way anyone else will do it, and that's okay. That's what God wants. He doesn't want a little cookie cutter to follow these 12 steps and look this way and do it this way. That's not what he asked. He created you uniquely. And so your marriage is going to be unique. And when we follow his plan, then it's a unique expression of his love to the world around you. God also joins two people together to draw us closer to him, not just individually, but as a couple. So when we look back at that passage in Ecclesiastes, so Ecclesiastes, let's go back up here. Um, Verse 10 says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help him. So that's part of God's design in marriage, is to be a spiritual encouragement to you. There are often times in our lives where we struggle. The past couple years have been a struggle for most people in our careers, in our decisions, in our relationships, in the world around us, in our parenting. But God gives you a partner to pray with you, to pray over you, to encourage you when you're down, to walk with you in great heartaches and the joys of this life. He designed marriage to be a life-giving source of spiritual encouragement. We, we, when we moved to Sacramento, you know, we, we were moving because we wanted to grow our faith. We wanted to, to actually have to rely on God in a way that we, that we hadn't before, you know. Um, but it, and it, that process certainly grew that first side of the coin of understanding that God is who he says he is. That process certainly did that. But it took way too long for us to grow in who he says we are. You know, in our marriage, I had this, this belief because, you know, that as long as Jess was okay, I was okay. As long as Jess was okay, our marriage was okay. Because I was a broken, sinful mess. And I've talked a lot about that here. I was addicted to pornography. I, was, I, I, was, I hated myself so deeply. And I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was supposed to be. I was just trying to live a life that I, I thought I should, right? And I was trying to emulate people that I thought I was supposed to. But man, I was a confused, broken mess. And that whole time, I would just think, well, Jess is okay, though. So God won't abandon us as long as I'm with Jess. Like she, I just saw her as this like covering over me that it, as, you know, as long as Jess is around, uh, she's going to balance out my nonsense, you know? And, um, 
And I genuinely lived that way for a long time. I never told Jess that, but that's 100% what I felt, you know? Um, but the thing was, is then all of a sudden we had a baby. And that changed all of that because I, I never considered myself responsible for Jessica. And I had failed being responsible with myself. But now I had to re be responsible for this baby, and I couldn't fail. Failure wasn't an option. Failure was certainly an option with myself. I could fail with myself, and I could learn to live with that. And I could even fail in whatever responsibility I thought I might have towards my wife. Because I knew, again, she's a big girl. She's super independent. She doesn't need me, right? She's fine. She loves Jesus, right? But a baby, a child, all of a sudden I, am I have a responsibility to steward this child the way that God intended me to. And I couldn't fail. And so that woke something up in me of realizing that I had failed in so many different ways and I had stopped asking God to really move in my life because I had made assumptions that he didn't want to. I had made assumptions that you don't want anything to do with me because I'm so broken and I'm such a mess and I'm in such a sin and I just don't know who I am and I can't get out of it. And I just, you just stay over there, God, and I'll stay over here and, you know, we'll just go our merry way. That was the assumption that I was in. But I knew that I, I had to change that. If I was going to be an example to this baby, if I was going to raise a kid the way that I knew I, I missed out on maybe or, or, or try, try to correct the, the, the decisions that I fell into, maybe I could do something now. Maybe there was a way to find redemption in somebody else. Because even at that point, I still was too, I was too far gone. But maybe I can do something for this baby. But very early on, with that, our first baby cadence, she screamed constantly. Six hours a night, she'd just scream. And I, I didn't know what I was doing, and I was terrified of children anyway. <laughs> I was. I still am, really. I still she am, really. But like, like I just holding this baby screaming in my face and I have no idea what to do. And my own anxieties were just like sky high and I'm freaking out like, what have we gotten ourselves into, you know? And even at that point, even more so, it was like, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know how to respond to the anxiety in me and, and calm myself down. How am I supposed to teach a baby to not cry when I'm freaking out and crying pretty much all the time anyway? Like, I'm no different than this out-of-control baby that's just screaming. That was really who I was. But I wasn't screaming to the right person. I wasn't asking the right person for help. I mean, let's face it, the right person to help Cadence was Jessica. And anytime she'd scream at me, I'm like, hey, I am not the one. I am not the one for you right now. Like, I love you and I'll hold you, but I got nothing else for you right now, you know? And here I was screaming in a mirror, maybe even, saying like, like, somebody fix me. Somebody fix me. When God was there the entire time, and he's teaching me so much through these kids, how out of control I was, how broken I was, how, how, like, how I appeared to other people even. 
And so I, I realized I needed to get some help and, and I went to counseling and, and we went to, we decided, you know, that we, we knew that a change was coming at that point. We were in Sacramento for, for a long time at that point, like five years, I think six we were six, years. six and a half years, details. Um, I knew that was gonna happen. I knew at some point she's gonna correct a detail. You asked. She's gonna correct a detail. Anyway. Six and a half years um, in, like we knew like a change was coming. And so we were like, okay, we need to start working on ourselves so that whenever, we didn't know it was Arizona. We didn't know anything like that. We just knew that something was going to, something was shifting. And so we knew we wanted to be the best versions of ourselves at that point. And so we went to counseling individually. And I'll tell you what, going to individual counseling, and like I said at the beginning, not just discovering what was broken and deeply rooted in us that needed to, that was causing all this stuff in us, but actually finding that out and then bringing it to Jesus and getting healing, that was the best thing that we ever did for our marriage. Yeah. Absolutely. Marriage has got to be a partnership between one person devoted to Jesus yeah. and another person devoted to Jesus. That is God's intent for a godly marriage. That's his expectation. So that one person devoted to Jesus and what he wants, his plans and his purposes, and that other person devoted to what he wants, his plans and purposes, can then come into a partnership towards what he wants mm -hmm. and his plans and his purposes. Mm -hmm. That is the purpose. That is God's expectation for us. And when we do that, right, when we do that, we're in line with who he wants us to be. But again, too often, especially in the church, we tend to, like Jessica said, we tend to compare how God is trying to shape us with how he's shaping somebody else. And we might say, you know what? That shape looks a lot better though. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I would like that shape more. And comparison is the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Jess, at the beginning of this, she talked about happiness. And that pursuit of happiness is so, so broken in our culture. And I've talked about this before, but I heard this quote recently when it said that pleasure is like this, in this timeline, pleasure is like a fleeting thing. It's a really high spike, right? When we feel pleasure in our lives, it's a really high spike, but maybe for only seconds sometimes. But joy, joy might not go as high as pleasure, but it's constant. It doesn't end. And that's why sin is based around pleasure. And we have equated happiness with pleasure mm -hmm. more than we've equated happiness with joy. Mm -hmm. And that's folly. And that's gotten us into trouble. Do you hear me? Do you hear me, church? Yes. That's gotten us into trouble. Yeah. I was just thinking as Cody was talking, like some of the things that have shaped us the most in our marriage have been the hard the really hard, like having a colicky baby was rough. And it forced things out of us. Like Cody talked about with COVID, you know, pressure turned these little hairline cracks into canyons. And so I think a lot of people get there and it's like, all right, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not facing this. I don't want to deal with this. I'm out. But it follows you. All your brokenness follows you until you hand it over to Jesus put it in his hands and say, I don't want this anymore. I give it to you. And he replaces that with healing, with joy, with purpose. 
when we surrender that to him. So what are you allowing to shape your life and your marriage? Maybe you've never thought about it before. What's your marriage based upon? I found that it's often difficult for two people who love Jesus and love each other to have spiritual conversations. Like, it's really common. So if that's where you're at in your relationship right now, it's okay. It just takes practice, and it feels really awkward at first to have a spiritual conversation. You know, like, you can make all these life decisions as a couple, but then when it comes to talking about, like, what do you think God wants us to do here? That can feel so weird and so awkward. Even praying for each other. Yeah, praying out loud for each other. It can be awkward in a marriage. And that's... Super awkward. It's so vulnerable. It seems like it shouldn't be, but it is. It just is sometimes if you're not not used to it. Yep. And that's okay. You just acknowledge this is where we're at. It feels weird. It's a weird conversation. But if that's what God is showing you, he is showing you. You're here. I'm telling you, he's showing you. That's what he wants for you then you just have to ask him to help you. He's not going to throw you out there and be like, well, good luck. Try to figure out a godly marriage. He's been wooing your hearts. He's been preparing you for this moment to take this next step. So ask God to help you and just try. And it's probably going to be awkward. It's like anything else in life. You have to practice. You have to try. And it gets better. Ask God to help you and keep at it. Keep trying. And Cody and I, if you ever need help having a conversation, facilitating with your spouse, like we are not marriage counselors. We are not experts. But we can help you have those conversations. We'll point you to Jesus. We'll point you to Jesus. And sometimes it's like, you know, a third party can be helpful. Sure. But often it's just trying with your spouse, just saying, hey, what would you think about that sermon today? Or if they're not here, hey, can I tell you about what? we talked about in church today, you know, just start. And like, you might feel nervous, but just start, just try. God wants so much for your marriage. He's designed it. He's created it. He has big plans, bigger dreams than you can even fathom. He has for you. He wants for you. And maybe you feel hopeless about it. There's hope. There's always hope. God's at work. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to ask a couple questions, and then Jess is going to pray for us. But would you just kind of ask these of yourself in this moment here? Are you currently asking God to be part of your relationships? That's a simple yes or no. Are you asking God actively, right, to be part of your relationships, not just as an observer or an occasional friend, Right? But are you asking him to be intricately and irreversibly woven into the makeup of those relationships? Every relationship. Are you willing to let him shape those relationships? Do you even have a willingness in you to let him be the one who tells you what those relationships should be? Are you willing to let him direct and guide every piece and part of your marriage, of your other relationships even. And you know, as, we've, as we talk this morning, you know, you might be in a place where it's like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I know that maybe I need to ask him to be part of my relationship, but that feels like a giant mountain that I don't know how to climb. Mm-hmm. 
Even maybe praying with your spouse seems like a mountain that seems impossible to even get started on. Ask. Ask God. It seemed impossible for Peter to be able to walk on the water, right? But what happened when he asked? He walked on the water. And you know, when he faltered and he failed, right, and he started to sink, he asked for help. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. So know that, you know, start by just asking God, God, would you just help me in this? Would you help me have a conversation with my spouse about you? Would you help me have a moment where I can pray with my spouse? And you know what? If, it, if you start in that prayer, maybe you're going to just pray. Just, that, just for the first time maybe ever, you're going to say, hey, can we pray together? And maybe you start into that prayer and it just feels like a dumpster fire, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what you can do in that moment? All you have to say, Jesus, would you help us? Yeah. Jesus, would you help us? That alone is an incredibly powerful prayer. Yes. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. You don't have to have the words. You don't have to have the exact right thing to say, right? Peter just said, Jesus, save me. Mm-hmm. And Jesus could have been like, you know, he wasn't like, well, I'm about to die on the cross and your sins are going to be able to be forgiven and you will have eternity. No, he reached out and grabbed him, right? Mm-hmm. When we say, Jesus, save me, he knows what we need. He knows what we need. So just start by asking. Just start by asking. Maybe you've already been in that place for a bit. Maybe you you have been praying with your spouse for a while. Well, the second thing maybe that you will need to move into is talking about how is God wanting to shape our marriage together? What is God doing in us as individuals that is drawing us towards a greater purpose in our marriage together? Maybe that's the conversation that you need to get to. God, shape us, mold our marriage, make us as a collective who you need us to be. We want to be a model of Jesus. We want our marriage to make much of Jesus. That's what our desire is. So shape us, Father. Shape us into those things. Let's pray. Jesus, we want you in our marriages. We want you in every relationship of our lives. We want you in our decisions. Thank you that you want to be a part of it, that your dreams and designs are so much more than we could even fathom. Father, I pray for courage for each person here to take that step of faith, whatever it is, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to them now. Whisper what that next step of faith is in their own lives. Give them the courage to do it. Thank you that you're with us every step of the way, even when it seems daunting, even if it seems like nothing will ever change. Father, we put our faith and our hope in you. God, we just say, have your way in us. Have your way in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in us as individuals. Lord, have your way. Thank you that your plans for us are good. You are faithful and you are trustworthy. And we can put all of our eggs in your basket, God. We can count on you. You are never going to fail us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.